welcome to episode 30 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn Thompson Rule, and today I speak with the amazing Rachel Smith. Now, Rachel is a strength coach and a pelvic floor specialist. She became a pelvic floor specialist through her own journey as a powerlifter. She coaches competitive powerlifters and strongwomen, and has now focused a lot of her work around pelvic health, making sure that it is not a taboo subject that we don't normalize leaking during lifting and all of that stuff that has just got swept under the carpet for years um, I loved this conversation I love Rachel's passion to get this knowledge out there it's important we need to know and do more about it as women as coaches I really hope you enjoy the show as ever if you do please re- leave me a review on iTunes and fire away as Rachel said at the end of the podcast any questions to herself or myself in regards to public health and if we can't help you ourselves we will point you in the right direction enjoy the show rachel smith how the hell are you i am great thank you how are you joss i'm very well thank you i'm sitting on my couch and it's raining outside and i'm feeling very cozy nice. actually it's not raining for once in the northeast it's like the first what the hell dry day i know what is even going on? It's been piddling down literally since, well, since we woke up. So there we are. Anyway, Rachel, please introduce yourself, my love. Okay. I'm Rachel. Um, I'm a strength coach, even based in the Northeast. I wasn't always a coach, a PT. I used to be an assistant head teacher, lived in London for sort of eight, nine years and moved back to the Northeast. Do you do disc herniations, actually? Life wasn't great then, but Building my own gym and the community that I've got now is very much what I wanted to do. And thanks to COVID, this year has been a challenge and then some. But we're coming out the other side. The community's building bigger than ever. And I'm just really looking forward to sort of what's to come. Yeah, that's kind of where I am in a nutshell. I know there's a hell of a lot more to it, but that's me. Yeah. Where I am now. No, that's a good nutshell. It's a good <laughs> nutshell, Rach. So, Rachel, in the last, I want to say maybe six months to a year in terms of what I've been aware of. You know, obviously, yes, you are a strength coach, but you have moved into an area, I'm going to say of expertise because I don't know many people that are doing, you know, specifically what you are doing. So do you want to talk a little bit about that, how it started and and where you are with it now? Yeah, so in sort of the past six months to a year, I don't know whether this came from my disc herniations and problems I had with my hyperlaxity. I noticed sort of more changes in my own pelvic floor when I was bracing, different movement setups, different movement patterns. I wasn't kind of getting the same feeling on both sides of my pelvic floor when I was coming in to um, engage for a lift. And I was like, right, let's do a little bit of research on this. What is there out there? And all I was coming up against was information about the pelvic floor, pelvic health, around pregnancy you know yourself just there's very little information out there in terms of female athletes female strength athletes and that a lot of that comes down to our hormonal fluctuations and the fact that as women we can be a bit difficult (laughs) so I decided to train as a pelvic floor coach myself I work with Louise Field through Door Your Floor and that gave me an ability and capacity to understand my body myself a little bit more, try new things out. I went to visit my own pelvic 
floor physio, my own pelvic health physio, Rosie in the northeast. And the findings with her really confirmed what I was feeling and experiencing myself. So the pelvic floor, we've got two sides to it. And it's all, it's graded on your internal examination. And that's on a short hold, which is like your power hold. So if you've got a quick engagement or you're going to sneeze, this would kick in. And then the endurance hold, which is your longer hold. And that's sort of what your body uses when you're walking around day to day, because you've got your pelvic organs actually sitting within the base there as well. So think of it like a bit of a trampoline. So the pelvic floor is graded on a zero, as in there's literally very little reaction there, to a five, which is a strong, flexible pelvic floor. So Rosie graded my left as a generous one to one plus, very generous. It was kind of when you're a kid and you get given a well done sticker and everyone's kind of cringing. (laughs) I was like, thanks, Rosie. Yeah. And then on the other hand, my right was a sort of a two plus three. So that confirmed very much what I was feeling myself. So I went away and I was like, right, well, what I'm doing in my own training, is that supporting what's going on with my pelvic floor? Again, went back to research. And the information just isn't out there because no one's looked into it in terms of anything other than impact-based leaking. So I was experiencing um, urinary stress incontinence And that was just coming down to there being just too much load on my pelvic floor. Sometimes it happened wearing a belt. Sometimes it didn't. It did change across the month as well. Because I know with hyperlaxity, for me, that does affect sort of my pelvic floor coordination. A lot of women might be able to resonate with that in terms of their ability to engage their deep abs when they're trying to brace at certain times of the month, which is normally when your body's releasing the egg and getting ready to fertilize it because it does need to be looser for all of this to happen. Mm -hmm. So with that, I put things into play in terms of looking at my stance or my setup. When I knew it was going to be slightly more difficult for me to be bracing, I wouldn't wear a belt because the external pressure would be greater than what I'm able to create myself in my intra-abdominal pressure. The load placement in terms of whether it would be a back or a front squat. In my strongman training, that would include carrying a yoke or sandbags as well. And just address quite a lot of things. So in summary, put all those things into play, tried them out with myself, had conversations with different people, but I wasn't really getting anywhere. And within six weeks of going to see Rosie, putting things into play myself, my left, I came out of the appointment, my left was like a two plus. And my right has gone to like a three, three plus. So I was like, yes, well done me. Well done. And that's really got me fired up in terms of the education that isn't out there. The way females are kind of a little bit cast off from their GPs, especially those who strength training have had children. They're told, well, it's to be expected. This is your choice, but no referral or anywhere to go after that. And a little bit of a reluctance for people to say, actually, I am having problems. Where can I go? And is it because the information's not out there like I found, or is it because it's still a fairly taboo subject to be talking about? Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? And and as you said in the beginning, on the one hand, we're not studied females because of the, you know, fluctuations in hormones throughout the month. So there are, you know, moving variables. And then on the other hand, it's just, it's so commonly 
accepted. Yeah. That it's just like, yeah, no, that's the way it is. But there is that huge, you know, association with, oh, well, if you've had children that, and that's just not the case. And and you'll know Helen Keeble, who I've worked with. And, and she said, yeah, of course I get, you know, women in who, you know, are about to have a baby or have had a baby, but I also get very commonly athletes in with dysfunctional pelvic floors. Like it's not just a woman and childbirth thing. It's so much more than that. And it's just kind of cast off and it's normalized. Now, what I find interesting from what you've said is that you recognized in yourself that something was amiss. And I don't think that many people would recognize that. So as you say, with with your pelvic floor, you know, one side was incredibly weak. You got that sort of like, you know, <laughs> school one star on the board. And the other side was was a little bit stronger. I had that myself, but I didn't physically feel that right. at all. Um, and it, it was only, you know, upon examination. Now, so what was that feeling for you? How did you understand that that was the case? So my lifting is fairly heavy. I do a mix of strong woman, powerlifting, general strength training. And my power hold, so like my one second hold up, relax, they're spot on. If I've ever had a cough, and I think this comes from when I had my back injury in terms of I had to position myself and engage my pelvic floor because I wasn't able to support my back because of the injury going on there. So I had to brace myself when I was sneezing. So my power holds were great. It was the endurance holds, which were, you know, that comes with fatigue. So when I was training, maybe I'm going to say, for example, I'm doing like sets of five at 150 kilos. Mm-hmm. The first set, belted on, I was wearing a belt at the time. The first set would be okay. Now, this is pretty much approaching like double body weight lift. So I'll get onto my second set and I would have noticed halfway through the engagement just isn't there or the hold isn't there. First rep, fine. Second or third, I'm not feeling as though I'm able to brace as wide around on my left, actually maintaining that brace throughout the left. And then sure as anything, rep three onwards, I just gradually leak. I did push through some of this myself because it wasn't happening every session obviously each session I'm training slightly differently it would come more with more volume based work it would be closer to sort of the egg being released for fertilization looking at that time in my month in terms of where I was with my menstrual cycle and then it was just keeping track of this so I've got my training log which we know is pretty much a diary when it comes to me Mm. my nutrition, my hydration, sleep, everything in there. So what I did was just track as much as possible and look at bracing before the lift, after the lift. And what I realized was I just wasn't able to maintain the contraction in the muscle for as long as my body needed it to, which was then just putting far too much pressure on my pelvic floor. Right. Okay. So for you, obviously you had that awareness anyway from your disc herniation so that you had to set yourself up more, I don't want to say more cautiously, you just had to set yourself up properly before you lifted anyway. But then there was that actual leaking as, as well. So, and I think also it's just important to tell everybody who's listening Yes, you know, you can have leaking and that's a very obvious and clear sign, but that also, you know, may not be the case either. And so 
it's the reason why it's so important just to get checked anyway. Like I never experienced leaking at all, even when I was lifting like my heaviest lifts, but I still had, you know, it wasn't super dysfunctional, but there was for sure an imbalance between. So you went from one to one plus on one side and, you know, two to a three to a three plus on the other side. What did that look like? Did you say it was over over six weeks? Yeah, so over six weeks. So with the internal examination, Rosie did the got me to do the short power holds and then the endurance holds. And with the endurance hold, that was my issue, as I'd said. The first time my left side was barely able to hold anything more than a second. So with that, Rosie programmed for my endurance holds a six second hold. So it was ten repetitions of six seconds. And that was a full exhale and inhale in between because obviously we we know that the pelvic floor works with the diaphragm. So when we're actually exhaling, we can lift and engage our pelvic floor and then maintaining the breathing throughout that hold, which is a tricky one to get hold of first. But once you've got it, that's where you'll see the real progress. So breathing comes in a lot. So she programmed that for me and that was twice a day in my short holds as they were two sets of 10 repetitions. So I do them morning and evening. And then the same with my endurance holds at six seconds. And then when I went back to see her with what I'd been doing in my training, this is all paid off. My pelvic floor on both sides was stronger. And then what she's done is I'm booked in to go and see her again in a few weeks time. So we made a slightly longer, longer duration between appointments. And then we just work up to eight second holds. So that's now where I'm at on a day-to-day basis continuing with what I was doing in my training and even more so emphasizing my TVA work. So that's my deep abdominals and working on my breathing quite a lot. I'll do a lot more breathing folks work. A lot of that's down to what I've learned through one of my recent mentors, Chris Knott and Nick Daniel, a course I went on with them. Amazing. And just engaging the best practice of my pelvic floor exercises with what I'm doing in my program in myself. Mm, amazing and it's paid off and in terms of the you know the holds like that's not much work to do like how long does that take you in a day a few minutes a few minutes quiet time you she did recommend downloading the squeezy app for people who struggle to make time for things but I was like no I don't want some technology reminding me I'm doing this myself but it is <laughs> yeah I've got this yeah <laughs> why doesn't that surprise me Jocelyn <laughs> <laughs> Okay, amazing. And then you talked about the breathing work, you've talked about the TVA work. And I think it's fair to say that all of this work and this stuff is slow, controlled, it's taking that time out, it's not that jazzy, but it is the very thing for you that allows you to lift safely, lift heavy loads safely which is what you do which is what your passion is and there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that without risk of of injury or you know affecting your disc again or whatever it's such important work but because it is that kind of low level not that fancy can interrupt your day if that's what you feel like it it does it's often just pushed aside I think because it's one of those things is that going to do anything is it really going to do anything it's going to do so much but you have to give it the time and you have to give it the consistency definitely it is it's 
you're not going to see results straight away, but I'm proof that even with a body that kind of does what it wants at the best of times in terms of the hyperlaxity, you can make real, real improvements. And what is more satisfying, the same as in your training, for you to achieve things like that yourself? You know, I mean, at the worst of things, you continue with this stress-induced incontinence on the platform when you're lifting, you're fine outside. How long are you going to be fine in sort of the outside world for? If it's not addressed, at the worst case scenario, it would lead, could lead to vaginal or rear exit prolapse or full incontinence just because you're not taking time out to address it when it matters. And it's interesting that you say the timeout piece. And I know, you know, before we started recording this today, we were, I know that you've, you've, you know, been working with powerlifters, you've been working to try and educate around this incredibly important area. Yeah. And I think, and this is the case for obviously, you know, a lot of athletes is, you know, injury is the bane of every athlete's life, right? But during that rehab process, because there's always something that you can do, they will always inevitably come back stronger. Do you feel that part of people not wanting to do this is because of the pause that it will put on their training right now or where they want to get to or whatever competition they want to, you know, lift in next, is it going to get in the way? Because this is a thing, if they've accepted, this is what's going to happen on the platform. I'm going to leak. This is just what happens, but I want to do that competition whenever in six months, 12 months, whatever. I'm going to take that, you know, and as you say, long-term, 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 this could really flipping affect every single day of your life moving forward. But if that's too far away and the now is, I want to compete, I want to compete, I want to compete. Is that the thing that stands in the way of them just taking a pause, rebuilding? Because no one really likes to slow it down and build it back up again from the start. You know what I mean? I'm going to be really blunt with this. Is a fucking trophy worth you shitting your pants for uncontrollably? Mm. I mean, you know my feels on it. Yeah. Like, it, absolutely not, yeah. you know? But in it's a mindset thing and what you want to achieve short term. And I get it. As someone who pushes, I get it. But there's only so much your body can take. Now, this year, in terms of competitions, it's pretty much been cancelled. Now, it, yeah, 2020 I, got cancelled. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I know some competitions are going ahead and that's why I did the recent webinar for the England and Scottish strong women finalists. And that was just to try and get them through the next six weeks because I've seen so many videos posted of people normalizing, peeing on the platform, peeing in training, peeing in warm-ups, even in powerlifting sets as well, like warm-ups that I kind of went through and just give them a a bit of a taste of like, this is how to get through the next six weeks as unscathed as possible. It's not a short-term fix. I'm not saying in six weeks' time this will be sorted. But what I'm saying is, based on what you're going through now, try this out, put this in, do this. And the next six weeks shouldn't have too much of an impact from where you are now. But outside of that, you need to take a step back and address things. You need to get that belt off, stop relying on it as either a mental or physical crutch, 
and actually work on building the TVA that you don't have. Work on breathing properly. I know so many people who've got asthma who train but have never had their breathing assessed by a coach. And if you suffer from chronic illness or asthma, you'll find that your breathing isn't as deep um, or as controlled as others purely because of the restriction that your body's got. We go into sort of a protective mode, don't we, when we face with pain. And our body does that to protect us. So that could be crunched over, that would be abs crunched over. So when you're taking that deep inhalation, is it actually becoming a diaphragmatic one where you're getting that full breath and able to engage your pelvic floor within your breathing? Or is it a more chest-based breath? In which case, your bracing is going to suffer as well so that was one of the biggest things I went through with them even though we've got six weeks to play with here before you comp get your coach who has programmed you to look at your breathing because that does impact your bracing and that would apply to anybody as well get it checked out actually look at how you're breathing how you're engaging your pelvic floor and if you're able to relax it as well because as you know Joss Helen would have mentioned the importance of actually being able to relax your pelvic floor just as much you need to be able to work on the engagement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine was hypertonic. I mistook that for it being strong. She was like, no, babes, it's, it's, it can't do shit. It's just really tight. <laughs> um, but um, That comes with stress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just, and learning that, and one of the, again, things that I was saying, you know, we spoke through all of this before we pressed record and I was like, let's just press record. <laughs> but was, was and, I, and I said this to you, was that when Helen gave me the exercises that I needed to do, I did them regularly, but I was doing them too intensely. And it was Always really separating. And as you say, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> it was, um, you know, as you say, being able to relax as well because you're thinking about oh you know I must have a strong pelvic floor that requires me to be tense no it requires you to allow it to be able to function as it should do and the breathing piece I mean you know how I feel about breathing anyway and I recently worked on something where I was just basically kind of talking around and educating around just general health you know people moving more and you know the movement side of it is the cherry on top of the cake, right? It's all of the stuff that we already do, like breathing, like sleeping, that we just don't optimize. And as you say, you know, that connection between your breath and your pelvic floor, like it's all one and it's so important and it's just missed out. And that's not to say that breathing isn't talked about in the world of of strength training. It absolutely is, but not to the degree and detail of just how important it is to really, really make sure that we are lifting and that we are, you know, loading safely. So talk to me just a little bit around, you know, you were talking about that. Are are they, you know, diaphragmatically breathing or are they just taking that kind of shallow chest breath what would you recommend speaking to people for the first time around breathing and around you mentioned around strengthening your tva what does that look like when you're working with people okay so like i mentioned before i've done a bit of work with mentors over the past year as well a lot of this is focused on positions movement and breath work because that dictates your performance it dictates your outcome your control and one really good way to just engage with your breath and actually feel the movement around your body 
is something Nick Daniel introduced to me called bear breathing. So if you think of like a beast hold on the floor, so you're on all fours, kind of tabletop position, but you've got your knees on the floor, you'll engage your arms pressing into the floor. You want to engage the serratus anterior, which is around the top sides of your shoulders. So think about what you'd use for a proper press up. Take a deep breath in through your nose and think about where you can move the breath through your body to fill every pocket around the back space of it. This gives clues in terms of parts of your your cervical spine, your lumbar spine, your thoracic. That's not necessarily moving as well as it should where you might have stiffness or tightness will indicate sort of potentially where you've had injuries before or how you hold yourself posturally. So with that, take the inhale through your nose and then the exhale for five seconds, breathing out through your mouth. And each time you take the inhale, just think about where you're putting that air to in your body. With clients, I'll do one-to-one assessments. So another thing I'd learned from Nick, which is crocodile breathing. And then we'll do some focused breath work where we're doing core contractions on the exhale. But I put this, just the breathing into pretty much all of my sessions that I do at the gym. And that's for people to reconnect with their breath in terms of the ability for movement potential, know where they're potentially holding any stress, which would impact on their movement in the session, and just getting them primed for the movement that they're going to be doing. So in terms of that, like leading into exercise, that's a really good one to just start the session with, um, also a great one to end sessions mm-hmm. with. And then when it comes to the TVA, I did a lot, a lot of this in my webinar with the strong woman. So many people, and by that I mean everyday exercisers, people that we'll come into contact with a lot, are so focused on the six-pack because that's generally the information that's put out there. Just on your, you will have had experience yourself in people saying, well, I want to be training more core and you've been doing dead books with them. And to them, because it's not a crunch or anything that they've seen sort of fitness influencers do, it's it's not a core exercise to them, is it? Mm, Yeah, they're like, give me that six pack, baby. Yeah. So it's educating as we do it. But with the TVA, what we're looking to do is engage those deeper core muscles. So we're thinking about our body as a cylinder in terms of our core. And the bottom of that is actually our pelvic floor. So if that's not working correctly, we're not going to be able to brace as effectively as we can. And with the TVA engagement, I always love to stop people lying on their backs and performing dead bugs in terms of getting that belly button pressing down through the floor, getting that back stabilised as well and connecting the breath with that. So we'll put a lot of those in, a lot of banded dead bugs as well or ones where we've got a weight overhead and all that is doing is just producing force and control, which we have to link with our pelvic floor, with our breathing as well, and just getting that TVA to work as a full unit as opposed to just looking at our superficial six-pack muscles. Mm, mm, Yeah, no, really, really good. And I love that you put the breathing both at the start and the end of the sessions as well. I remember an email from a coach and she actually, we had done some work together and she, you know, then started her sessions no matter what they were whether it was a strength session whether it was a hit session whether it was a mobility session whatever it was every session started with breathing and I think she ended up putting her warm-up on um, Instagram or something 
And she said, you know, she started with breath work. And this was for, I think it was maybe a hit session she was doing. And then, you know, of course, an interweb coach messaged her and was just like, oh, I'm not sure I'd start with, you know, um, diaphragmatic breathing at the start of a session. I mean, you don't want to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system activity. And she was kind of like, well, I'm not going to get them going from flipping breathing to a one RM back squat, babes, but thanks for the input. But... In saying that, it, even though she knew that it was a good thing to do, it, it kind of shook her a bit because she was like, I am right in doing the breathing first, aren't I? Yeah. And, you know, if nothing else, if nothing else, it centers them for the session, you know, away from the day that they've just had, mm. and it puts them in a focused frame of mind for the session ahead. And then, of course, no matter what you're doing, whether you're doing a hit session, whether you're doing a strength session, whatever it is, of course, you then build them up and prep them properly to do whatever it is they're doing. But it's such a nice start and finish to a session to recenter them. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely get them breathing properly. And that is a learned process as well. You know, as you say, with the what did you call it? The was it the bear breathing? Bear breathing. You know, first time round, that's gonna feel really feckin' weird. Like yeah. what where am I breathing into? And slowly you get to know like, ah, oh, I feel that now. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And you're relearning, you know, what your body is telling you. And that is one of my biggest it's the biggest thing I feel as a coach we can, you know, pass on to all of our clients is that like you know, association with their body again. We're so disassociated from what our bodies are mm. telling us instead of actually slowing down. Okay, cool. How do we do that? Let's just breathe a little bit for a second and then tuning in. So again, you from past experience were very tuned in to how everything felt through your pelvic floor when you were lifting. Same thing. And this is, you know, if we continue on a, a women's health tangent, you know, not having a period, yeah. That's a red flag, you know, leaking when you are lifting or even warming up. So less intense than, you know, like a, a heavy lift or whatever. That's a warning yeah. sign. And it may well be that you can function, and I'm going to put in inverted commas, you know, normally now, but that will come back and literally bite you on the arse if you don't pay attention to it now. And I, I am happy that it is becoming it's starting to slowly become more, you know, people understand now, you know what, it's not great if you miss a period. They understand now, you know what, you don't have to leak when yeah. you're lifting, but it is a process and it will take time. And the process is not this like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to build that pelvic floor. <laughs> it's kind of like, slow that shit down and go through the process and get to, you know, understand what your body is telling you. And I'm also just going to pick up on what you said around, you know, you track everything you've got, you know, you track your training, you track your sleep, you track your food, you track all of the things. And that is, and I'll always say it like every piece of research that you read is the average of a group of people who aren't you unless you were in the study itself. Yeah. And the more information you have about yourself for yourself, the better able you are to make informed decisions about your own health, or certainly when you are seeking help from a professional, which is absolutely important, never self-diagnose anything. But when you are seeking help from a professional, you then have information about you to tell them, this is my experience so far. This is what I've gone through. And I'm not going to say for a second that the first 
professional in whatever realm that you meet is going to be the person that can help you. That too is a process because, you know, in your case, Rach, you had to do the research yourself and it was through your own work and your own research and going through the actual process yourself that you were like, okay, this is it. Right. Okay. And now obviously you're going to learn more just by virtue of imparting your knowledge on other athletes and coaches and then getting feedback from their experience and then that builds so it's just it's so 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 important that tracking piece I will caveat that with if tracking becomes a stressful thing so if you find tracking your food or tracking your sleep or tracking your training is a stressful thing you can simplify it down like just give yourself a one out of 10 or just if tracking one thing is you're finding really stressful and simplifying it down to giving it a mark out of 10 is you're still finding it stressful take it out don't worry about it for now it's not worth adding a stress in just to track stuff because we also know on the flip side that things like weighing yourself every day writing down to the last calorie of what you eat that can become an unhealthy obsession so just be as smart as you can be around that. So Rach, what's your hope in the work that you're doing moving forward? What would you like that to look like? What's your vision for it? So where we are currently, and that's not just within the UK, this is overseas, obviously looking at America as quite a big research hub because we do get a lot of our studies from there. I just hope for more studies into female strength athletes, those who have and haven't had children, those who are performing at a higher level. And this is quite hard for me to say, but you will definitely have experienced it yourself. What you determine to be heavy lifting isn't what somebody else determines to be heavy. So unless you can say that you are pushing sort of to the height of the game, you're looking to beat records and things like that, this may not affect you as much as what it would at higher end. But if you are getting symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction at the lower end, get it seen to now, otherwise it will progress as you progress. So everyone has their starting point with things. But even for females to acknowledge that is also them acknowledging that maybe it is a good idea to kind of accept that we should be putting a little bit of time and money into our own internal health. Just in the same way we feed ourselves well, we sleep as and when we should, we take care of those. Your pelvic health as a female, whether you do or don't want to have children, can or can't have children, we need to take this a bit more seriously than we are in terms of going to see a pelvic floor physio, pelvic health physio, just to get an assessment done once a year to sort of see where you're at in the same way that we'll go and get our smear test done. We can't access this information ourselves so we do need to go to somebody for that a lot of people see the price point our first appointment is generally around 70 pound following appointments are cheaper a lot of people see the price point as something that puts them off but it's an investment into your health and if you think if it's 70 pound over the course of two and a bit months put one pound away a day it's taken care of itself But with the research side of things, I'm just hoping for more research and more conversations between athletes at the sporting level. The acknowledgement of this within coaches, there are so many male coaches who program female strength athletes 
and I am yet to have a conversation with one of them, which kind of brings up two things for me. Are the athletes communicating their issues with their coaches or are the coaches unaware of this because males have a different hormonal profile to us? They don't experience changes in the pelvic floor in the way that we do. I do have questions surrounding that, but my real hope is for women to begin taking action and demanding more support and more knowledge, more access to this from a GP level, as in referrals, or just pushing for more information from others. So, for example, you've seen, you'll have seen yourself, coaches themselves, females at a high level, laughing this off on Instagram, on social media, or peed on the platform, don't mind me, I've just had to change my trousers, laugh it off. They're in a position as a coach, they've got someone's health in their hands, someone is paying them to support their health and their performance. And as a coach, they are normalising this by laughing it off. It's not a laughing matter, mm. it's, it's someone's health. And if you're, you as a coach aren't taking this seriously for yourself, then I am damn certain you are not doing the same for your clients. So where's the level of respect there? Where's the level of respect for them as a human as well as a female who has a dysfunction whose problem could lead to issues within their day-to-day life? Mm, and that's it, isn't it? It has to come from... As you say, so if you've got, you know, female athletes who are working with male coaches, and I I have to say, you know, even for, so I haven't had a Women in Fitness Summit this year. I've yet to decide whether I'm going to have one online or not. The the months are ticking. It won't be the same. No, I know that, my darling, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) We can't get large groups of people together. (laughs) But, you know, I definitely think, and, you know, I definitely get, you know, a lot of messages from male coaches either asking for, you know, more information or certainly for the Women in Fitness Summit, like, you know, on the Fitness Professionals Day, like male coaches saying, is it, and I'm of course, like you can come along, of course, of course, of course. So I think it, it is happening. It is Coaches are understanding that now. Football teams are, you know, looking at, and if they haven't already, making sure that programming is now, you know, working or certainly taking into account of, you know, the menstrual cycle. Now, we also know within that, that for somebody who, you know, like yourself or uh, professional football players or professional athletes who generally track everything and are, you know, try to, I guess, live as optimally as they can in terms of making sure that they're giving everything they can so that they can have an optimal performance. It's fair to say that all of the variables in their lives will be fairly standard across the board. With training around your menstrual cycle, with the various changes within the follicular phase and the luteal phase, if you're not getting enough sleep, if your food is trash, if you're highly stressed, then we can't take advantage of, you know, those kind of natural, you know, fluctuations in hormones. Similarly, you know, if you're on the contraceptive pill, like it's all affected by that. But, you know, the fact that, you know, male coaches are understanding, you know, I can actually optimize my female clients, you know, performance if I am aware of this. So it's like, why wouldn't you? But Mm. as you say, it's also the responsibility 
of you know the athletes of the to ask the questions is this something we can consider in in my training and it is having what are potentially you know slightly uncomfortable conversations but both will benefit as a result of that and what I would say to coaches is you know in your parkour forms in your you know physical readiness questionnaires are you adding in questions around pelvic health yeah because even if it's in the form itself then all of a sudden your clients are going to look and be like oh wow they're asking me about this and okay I either a I didn't even think about it but actually now that you ask yeah I experienced this but all of a sudden you're going to open yourself up as a coach to look this is something that matters this is something that we need to incorporate into your training so I'd always just urge for coaches to make sure that within that yeah it's the, it's a dialogue isn't it it's, it's given yeah if you use that language your athletes are going to realize you're a bit clued up you want to have that level of conversation with them and you start the ball rolling normalize it even if you've never worked with a female where you've done this before or who's had these problems as a coach kind of make it up make up this person who's had this issue in the language you would have used with them had you worked with them and start to have those conversations, people will open up, but they are approaching you as a, with a new relationship as you are with them. And it's just having that honesty and openness from the start and showing that there's no judgment there, but you are in a position to want to know more in order to help them more as well. Yeah. And it helps you as a coach, you know, I mean, I work with non-binary individuals. I work with transgender males who are going through or are preparing, you know, themselves for top surgery. I have that in my form. I need to know, are they on T? Are they not on T? You know, that's going to affect everything. And if that's in my form, all of a sudden, if you see yourself in my form, we've already built a better relationship. Yeah because you know that I'm taking these things into account. And so for trainers and for coaches, this area is important. Pelvic health is important. It's it's important for you to understand that as a coach, to be able to help all of your clients, male and female. And so the dialogue starts with you to normalize that. And by doing that, you are then opening up that conversation, you know, with your clients for them to go, actually, my coach has, has, you know, put this in the form before we've even met. Mm. This is something I can talk to them about. You know, it's just so important. Any final comments on pelvic floor and training, Rachel, I want to speak to you very, very quickly as well, just about your gym and that process, because it's been a process, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just as kind of a, these could be points worth noting if you are suffering or you think there's something not quite right going on with your pelvic floor. If you can afford it, get to see your pelvic health physio. If you look online, the Squeezy app lists pelvic health physios in your area drop Joss a message, drop myself a message, start that conversation. I know that Umi Health, run by Helen and two of her other colleagues, is fab. Again, that touches a lot on the pelvic floor around pregnancy, but they do have sort of a leak-free guide, which I would say is more tailored to CrossFit, but not in terms of the heavier lifting side of things. There is a little bit of discrepancy there between the experiences that you would have based on stress, you know, incontinence, whether that's impact-based or like more fatigue based on the weight, there is a slight difference there. Again, very little research out there on this. 
look at your programming, look at to see if it's in line with your menstrual cycle, have that chat with your coach, start to track things, look at when and where you wear a belt by when, I mean during the cycle, at what point in your training session do you have it on. If you're wearing it for your warm-up sets, really reconsider that and look at the work you're doing on your TVA in terms of where you're wearing it. Have a look at the position of it. Have a look at the thickness and depth of your belt as well, because these can all make a massive impact on where they're sitting. They should be closer to the body. They shouldn't be sitting on your bottom of your rib cage or your hip bones. Look at your breathing. At the starting point for all of this, are you breathing properly? Are you able to engage your pelvic floor with that? Are you able to relax your pelvic floor? On my Instagram, I've got a couple of videos and conversations about this already, and I am adding more to kind of cover the plethora of questions I've had in terms of how to know to engage in, how to know to relax. And so I am including a few more things, drip feeding it through as we go. But if you think there's something going on, take action on it now because the more we can do about it when it's at sort of the lower level, the easier it will be to address. Amazing. Thank you. That's really, really great advice, Rach. And I absolutely agree that, yes, there is that difference between impact, you know, in a, I guess, more of a CrossFit sense. And it is, you know, in the fatigue piece of the heavy lifting. And that's why it's great that, you know, the work that you're doing, you're like, actually, no, hang on a minute, there is a distinction here. This is what it is. One thing that we've talked about a little bit, we've talked about training around the menstrual cycle, we haven't necessarily said what that is. So super, super, very, very quickly, all cycles are, you know, different in length, let's just say it's in and around 28 days. From the first day of your period to when you ovulate so those first two weeks, that's what's called your follicular phase. During that phase, your estrogen is rising. This is a time at which particularly to, as that peaks around ovulation, where you can go a bit harder, your, your body's feeling stronger, you recover quicker. That's your kind of, you know, go phase, all other things being equal, sleep, making sure you're eating well, all that kind of stuff. At that peak point during ovulation, as Rach said earlier, that's when she's found that a greater increase in joint lack with estrogen at its peak, that is what can happen. You can experience increased joint laxity. So whilst you're peaking in terms of strength and recovery and all of those things, do be mindful of that. I've got a a client who we've kind of finished rehabbing her now from her ACL reconstruction, but actually it was at that point during ovulation that's when she really really felt uncomfortable you know where her scar was and so on and then post ovulation you've got the luteal phase that's when estrogen drops and then you've got progesterone rising so this is a less it's diff, again it's really really different for everyone and it's, and it's why it's so important to track but you want to be not necessarily slowing things down but you're less in that peak phase as you would be in that follicular phase so just to make sure that your training matches that your recovery takes a little bit longer all of those things I think first two weeks yay go feeling great second two weeks bit more chill of course you can still train but just track your own cycle and see how you feel around that so I just want to talk about that briefly because we kept on talking about training around the menstrual yeah. cycle but not actually saying <laughs> what, what that is what you just mentioned towards the end there is Again, with the research, there's so much sort of archaic research in terms of, oh, those last two weeks, your body's not primed for making improvements, so just do gentle exercise. Cool. Some people might want to swim, do yoga, whatever, but there is not a chance in hell that I'm stopping lifting for two weeks. 
not away. So all we do is we reduce the ranges. We go off how we feel day to day. We might want to eat, sleep a little bit more, but you it's that relentless pursuit of what you want to be achieving. And just because we are physically female and we have menstrual cycles does not mean we cannot continue to make progress, but it needs to be in line with what we can recover from. So sure, you might want to keep those heavy sets in. What you might want to do is take your squat to a box squat. So we're reducing the impact at the bottom of the load there. And then you might want to do a couple less sets or you might literally want to do one compound, one back off. So like one working set, one back off set, and then maybe one accessory and then you're done for the session. But what matters is the chipping away because all that progress does that up. And two weeks away from training what you love, yeah. that's a bloody lifetime. And that's half the damn year. So... That's my thoughts on that anyway. Mm. And you're absolutely right. Like training still continues, but also from the, I suppose, expectation level, you understand that all other things being equal, sleep, food, all that kind of stuff, in those second two weeks, if you're not feeling as strong as you are in those first two weeks, that's potentially why. So it's not getting to the gym being like, oh, last week I absolutely aced it. Why am I feeling so shitty this week? Yeah, That's potentially why you're feeling that way but absolutely the work continues you just work smarter within that time and again track it all you know some people when they I'm not that affected when I get my period I'm not curled up on the couch with a water bottle on my belly like it doesn't affect me I can still train for other women it's different again so whilst we have those wider guidelines then find out what works for you within that as well so Rachel let's move on to five minutes top line talk me through the gym process because it's been a process and I love it and I still love it (laughs) so I think yeah I did your mentorship was it I was like the original gang and original original crew. and that was kind of I just moved back up the northeast and I was like this is what I want to do this is what I'm gonna do I need to open my own gym and everyone kept asking me why and I couldn't verbalize the why. I just, I knew that I needed that for me as well as other people. And that comes back to coaches I've worked in the past, within the past, and things that necessarily haven't been done in the right way, or coaches I've worked with who really inspired me to do certain things. So the gym has been a labor of love. I first set it up in, this time last year, I was up a ladder's paint and walls still, yeah. I remember the pictures and the videos. <laughs> I am not paying somebody to do what I can do myself, whether it's three litres of paint or as it was, 18 litres of white emulsion. So originally I set it up. It's like a small unit gym. It's like 8,000 square foot. 8,000 square foot? No, 800 square foot. It's not that big. Yeah, 800 square foot. <laughs> it's on like an industrial estate on the way to the Metro Centre, like Gateshead, Newcastle in the northeast. I set it up with a friend at the time, was a business partner. We kind of half in on payment-wise, half in equipment-wise. I'd already been putting all of my, any pennies I had towards kit and the garage was just a metal shit show. So <laughs> got it all set up, launched it. My business partner at the time very much changed her vision on what she wanted it to look like and primarily wanted to focus on one-to-one PT as opposed to the community that I really wanted to build. So at the time when we opened, it was like one-to-one PT, her and I working separately. And then on a weekend, we'd run like a strongman class. 
that's how we met and sort of through the sport. In January this year, so we hadn't been open that long. In January this year, she said that she it wasn't being as profitable for her as she'd like and then wanted to move away from the business. But obviously we were tied into a financial agreement, which I couldn't afford to pay full on that because I was just getting started really as sort of a, a coach based in the Northeast as opposed to the online work that I had been doing. And then when COVID hit, not that long later, she decided that she wanted to move away from the gym. So for me, it was a case of, do I walk away from my dream or do I go all in? And with me, it's either a yes or a no. And I was like, hell yeah, this is it. I will eat yellow sticker price food for the rest of my life. So <laughs> COVID hit. I had to replace kit that she had, still had the rent to pay. But then in July, it was able to reopen. And people who'd been coming before came back. They brought friends. And it's picking up in the way that I hoped for. And like I said to you before we start recording, even six months ago, I couldn't envisage the community of people I've got working there now. And, you know, things happen for a reason. And sometimes you have to go through quite a lot of shit, <laughs> not just with yeah. the gym, with everything, to get to where you want to go. But it, that was my dream, building the community and a space for people, that third space. I was talking about it on a recent podcast as well, like, that's your space. It's where you go to. It's it's a different space to anything else. And you put in the work on yourself in that time. Nothing else matters. You've got different relationships with people there. And it's allowed me to do bits of everything that I love, the rehabilitation side of things in terms of integrating breathing and moving mechanics and not people relying on going to see a physio for one-off treatment and not finding themselves any better off. I started a female lifting club, which is very much focused on building intensity and learning how to train properly with a mindset approach to things as well. Got mm. boot camps going on, which are my take on it. So they're technically not boot camps at all. Very much strength and conditioning based, focused on tailoring programming to the people who were there injury wise as well. We're a very small group. The max I'll have because of the size, because I want to ensure quality coaching is sort of seven, eight. And then on mm. we have our Sunday strong class, which is strongman sessions. So think of everything that goes on, world's strongest man, tire flipping, arm over arm car pulls, atlas stones, yoke runs, all sorts of heavy fun stuff. Amazing. I love it. And you're also saying when I was asking you about it, that you haven't because I was just asking when we first started this call I was asking you how the gym was going and and you said you hadn't gone down you know the paid for marketing yet because of the community that you have at the moment and that basically like you know attracts like yeah and I love that because I think that we can get caught up in this idea that we need to have Facebook ads and Instagram ads and all this kind of stuff to bring business in when the bottom line is if you provide as much value as you can, and I know you do that so much, Rach, you do it for, you know, your own clients, you give such value in our Be The Change community, you, you're just a giver in that in that sense. When you do that and you provide that value for people, they will talk to each other and 
people outside of your space about that and build that same like-minded community. And I think if you're just kind of, you know, again, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, wherever, doing this kind of cold advertising to people who you who don't know you and great if you catch some of the, you know, some great people who come in, but your core people who you should be focusing on are the people who you are already serving and going deeper with them Mm. and giving as much as you can. And that in itself will give back rather than kind of looking. I think so many people look outside and like, well, I need to build my space or I need to build my whatever. Let me look outside of, of what I've already got. And that just misses the mark. Whereas you've gone, this is a wonderful community. I'm just going to keep giving back to it. And that will naturally grow. Definitely. For me, obviously, every business has a financial pressure. So I still work a second part-time job, so sort of three days a week and work in two jobs and then the online side of things as well. And from the off, any money that's come into the business has been spent on the business. You know, like I want to be the best, whether that's investing in mentorships, um, like the one that I've done with yourself and that you can't get rid of me because of. <laughs> Babe, um, never. Or kit for new clients who come in I've got specialist bars so we can work on rehab and you can have access to things as well I've just been awarded some funded place actually for ability not disability training which is looking at provision for either adults with special educational needs or who are less able-bodied because within the local area one of the biggest things that gets me is private businesses serving their community on a surface level and not access, not integrating within the core of the community. So I'm really pushing to be involved in the community as much as I can and deliver things that aren't there that I feel should be there because money's put into so many different places that it's unfair for certain groups to not have access to the things that could make such a difference to their lives as well. So literally, this is version two of At the Asylum Newcastle, but there will be many more up-leveled versions to come. Absolutely. And it's all a part of it. It's all part of the flipping process. Imagine if, I can't remember, you put, I think you put a story up and it was, I think it was in response to one of my stories or whatever. And it was something around, oh yeah, everything looks great now, but you missed volume one to 30 of yeah. like the shit show that was getting getting here or whatever. And I was like, God, that's so flipping true. So I love that. And yeah, absolutely. You know, in terms of accessibility, like the fitness industry can be very just one way. Mm-hmm. And that's why that, you know, the kind of mentioned it previously, but there's a project that I've worked on where, you know, I'm talking about, health and movement for everybody and let's just take advantage of the things that we already do like breathing (laughs) and try and do that just to give that sense of control to people actually you're already doing healthy stuff but if, if you think that the only thing that's being healthy is stepping inside a gym or whatever that's not the case we already have a lot that we've all got access to it but because by virtue of being alive we are breathing and so let's you know start there and just show people that they're already doing it and you just do so much of that in your work so I'm incredibly grateful 
that you exist in my life, Rachel. (laughs) And also I have just one more question because I think you do this really well. And I think it's a question that a lot of trainers always ask. And all of my kind of favorite coaches, I think, do the same thing. It's around, obviously, you know, you've worked with, I can't remember their names now, you said Chris Not and another coach you mentioned and just different people you've gone out there and you've and you've found those people I get asked a lot from coaches what course should I do who should I follow I feel like you went out and did your own work around that what would you advise to other coaches looking to learn more looking to go in depth on whatever what's your process for that Because it's not just a one size fits all. It's not just, oh, here, go and do this. It's very much, for me, I think, a personal process. So what does that look like for you? I remember one of the first calls that we had in the mentorship group, a lot of people were so worried about finding their niche. And it was like, I entered it with a bit more experience having worked in gym management in London and moved back up here. And I find that by just working with Anyone you come across, you'll then find sort of where your passion lies. And people buy people. People are drawn to you for the reasons that you might not even be aware of at the start. But that will tell you a lot about what you have to offer those people. And that in turn kind of becomes a niche for you. You might not be aware of it at the start. So it's a case of don't worry about being an expert in this, that and the other. Just focus on being a damn good coach building yeah. interpersonal skills with people and then getting a little bit of feedback about what they enjoy working with you on and for the reasons that they're working with you. And then if you've got, if you work in like a mainstream gym, like commercial gym, you might have other coaches in there, get a little bit of feedback from them, see what they see your skills and best attributes are. And that will kind of guide you along the right route for where you might want to put more time and money into mm-hmm. mentorships that are focused on what you're interested in because I know with Be The Change mentorship and the one that I was working with Chris Nutt on, it integrates business alongside the educational level of coaching, which is amazing. Mm. Obviously, both of them have worked really well for me in terms of setting me up, levels of progression, etc. But through what I've done with my own experience based on the pelvic floor as well, my most recent investment has been working with um, a lady called Katie Sinclair in America, and that's very much focused on female physiology, movement, breathing, positions, pelvic health as well. So you end up in the right place at the right time, but don't be in a hurry to get there. Just take what you're interested in. Use the guidance from the feedback that you're getting from the people you're working with. And that will tell you what you're good at because you might not even be in tune with it. It's like when you're in school as a kid and people, well, not as a kid, a little bit older, and people, or even as an adult, people say, what are you good at? We are so bad, especially females, at saying what we are good at. But the work that you do shows that. And the people who see you doing that work will feed that back to you as well. Mm, good 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 advice absolutely and it's following what you enjoy not worrying about what anyone else is doing and as you say and I know this is a real cliched thing to say but when the student is ready the teacher arrives and you will go down different paths and you will meet different people and that's how if you feel this pressure if you feel this pressure to learn or this pressure to do something or fuck me this pressure to find your feckin niche like then it's pressure and you don't, it's not then a natural flow. What do you enjoy doing? 
what is it you enjoy doing? Like I remember one guy said he, he was super flexible. He goes, oh, I'm going to do mobility because I'm super flexible. I was kind of like, oh, I mean, I'm not sure that that's the reason why you should do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just because you're super flexible doesn't mean that you're necessarily mobile, but that's another story. And do what you enjoy, not what's popular, not what fucking someone else is, is doing who's super busy. What do you enjoy doing? And you will only find that through working on bodies and through working with people. And equally, if you're not working with anybody at all right now, friends, family, do what you can with the resources that you have right now because you will still get feedback and you will still learn. If you train your mum for the next six months, you're going to learn something. It's really hard to train your family and friends. Let me tell you, <laughs> paying clients are much easier because <laughs> you don't have that super close relationship with them. Obviously, it's a different relationship. But, you know, following your path is doing exactly that, following your path in your own time and not feeling rushed by it. And I know that we are in such an instant world right now. And I'm as impatient as the next person. But I just understand that it takes time and it's a process. And every knockback or every time I mess up, which still happens a ton of times, feels shit. And then it's like, right, what do I need to do about it? How am I going to move forward? Yeah, and it's like moving forward. It's just being relentless about it. And not taking mm. instant gratification from things. Like you put a post up on social media, just forget about it. It's out there, whatever. Even if no one likes it, who cares? Because you're slowly mm. building momentum and it's about doing, doing, fail forward, learn from it, do it again. No one cares mm. as much as you think people care, not in a bad way. No one cares. Like they love to see the process mm. behind things. And if that simply post and once yeah. build you the confidence to just put more of you out there like it did for me like just do mm-hmm. it just yeah that's it I think we had that conversation so many times and it's just a case of what's stopping you from doing it well I am stopping myself so I need to get out my own damn way just do it yeah and as you like you know even with that even with Instagram because I know that a lot of you know people feel a bit like around Instagram but a no one can even remember what they liked in a day like let's say someone's scrolling through the day if you ask what posts they like they won't even be able to remember and that's also a reflection on likes and followers don't count for shit so I can put up a really nice feckin' picture and put some motivational quote up there and I'll get a ton of feckin' likes it will have impacted nobody but it will have been a visual thing that people like if I put something up that's educational it will get less likes but it will probably get more saves and more forwards on to other people so if I'm just basing my Instagram success around likes it's rubbish because actually the stuff that hits more and that people might remember if you say oh what post was good today or what did you like oh actually I read an interesting post from Justin or Rachel on this and I saved it or I forwarded it on to somebody else that's actual engagement likes don't count for anything so as Rach said Instagram or Facebook or wherever they're all great platforms because they're free. (laughs) Like he had to pay for this shit before. He had to pay an advertising company to advertise your shit before. And now you can do it for free. There are different ways to 
do it that feel more comfortable for people. But if you've got an opportunity to get your stuff out there and speak to the people who you want to serve, never mind your friends, never mind your colleagues, never mind whoever you feel is going to judge you, speak to the people who you serve. That's all you need to do if you're using it for your work. I use Instagram for my work. Rach uses Instagram for her work. Then speak to the people who you want to serve. Everyone else doesn't matter. So on that note, Rachel, I know we had planned to speak for 50 minutes and here we are an hour and 15 later. It was always going to happen. Story (laughs) of our lives. Talking shit for hours. Rachel, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Okay, so... Let me just, I'm really bad at this. Yeah. <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. Listen to me, promote myself. On Instagram, I am R- <laughs> RS underscore strength underscore coach. And linked in there is my gym, which is at the Asylum NCL. And that's pretty much it. That's where I showcase things. I've got a Facebook account for the gym, but that's pretty much it. Like I said before, the way things are business-wise, I'm very much happy for who, who's who been attracted to what I'm putting out there and sort of the small circle that's building within the gym. So I'm not even putting pressure on myself to get a website or anything because for me, it's about the relationship and a website. Do people spend time reading on a website? No. Watch mm-hmm. videos, get a feel for what I'm about, what the gym's about. So yeah, that's pretty much where I am when I remember. Amazing. We'll link that anyway in the show notes. They'll be able to find you there, Rach. But this is definitely not the end. If I do run an online women in fitness summit this year, you're speaking at it just so you know. But that's what I said. Remember, was it last year? I was like, I will be here. I will be at the summit. And I think in your head, you were like, <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, of course. And here we are. Oh, yeah. Here we are. <laughs> Yeah, if I do, it'll probably be a November thing. We'll just see how the next month goes because, you know, deadlines and stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like, or it might be quite specific. Anyway, here's me thinking out loud. My darling, thank you so much. I cannot wait to see where you take everything because it's just literally the sky is the limit for you, in my opinion. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and continue to do. And enjoy the rest of your weekend my pleasure thanks for having me on joss and for taking up amazing love. time today <laughs> no i love you for it <laughs> bye my darling i uh, speak soon see you later <laughs>